Welcome, I am Bree. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, the founder of Femme Fusion Fitness, and the author of Lady Bits, Understand Your Body, Elevate Your Health, and Reclaim Your Spark Naturally. My mission is to build community and awareness around women's wellness and pelvic health. I invite you to listen, laugh, learn about, and love all of the bits that make you whole. Let's go to the show. Hello, my friends. I have a great interview for you today with a friend of mine, and Megan's going to share her take on, well, first of all, her, her prolapse story after her first child was born, and then her really amazing success story with having another baby after prolapse. She wasn't sure she was going to expand her family, but she decided she wanted to after a health scare that she'll tell you about. And it's a really inspiring story. And I know it's a question that so many women have is, can I have another baby after I've had prolapse? So you're going to really love this conversation. And, you know, even if you're not uh, wanting to have another baby, it's still just an interesting story about Megan's pelvic health and her journey. And we're going to talk a bit about mindset and so much more. So please tune in. And if you have any questions about anything, check the video or excuse me, not the video notes. This is a podcast, the show notes, and there'll be links and resources and ways that you can connect with Megan on Instagram and all sorts of information that you can learn from. So check the show notes. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. So excited to have Megan Blair with me. Megan is somebody who I have actually known. Megan, how long have we known each other? It's been several years, several years. Probably four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And we met through, Megan had found me when she was starting her own prolapse journey. And she'll tell you more about that. And then we ended up doing some work together on natural wellness, natural living. And we just became friends and talked a lot about all sorts of different things. And we did talk about her prolapse and pelvic health issues a lot. And Megan was kind enough to join me today to talk about a question I get all the time, which is about having a second pregnancy with prolapse because Megan just had her second child very successfully. And so we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to dive into a little bit about mindset and some of the most important things that Megan actually discovered had helped her on her prolapse really recovery journey. So Megan, tell us about your prolapse and also about second pregnancy with prolapse and what you did, what you noticed. Yeah. Okay. First, I want to say thank you, Brie, for having me on here. I've been wanting to do this for a while and I finally got the courage to tell my story. Um, So I'll just briefly discuss like how it happened and kind of my story leading up to deciding to have a second pregnancy. Um, So in 2014, I had the birth of my first daughter or my only daughter. Um, My pregnancy was amazing. The birth was good. There was no issues. It was very like unremarkable pregnancy. I felt amazing after um, I started going for walks, you know, within a few days of coming home from the hospital. Um, And I felt so good that I decided to play softball at five weeks postpartum. Um, A few of my friends had been, you know, had had babies around the same time, they were playing soccer, they felt good. So I thought, why not? Um, You know, what's going to happen? I feel good. Um, And right when I was running to first base, my first time up to bat, Um, I immediately felt my bladder drop and I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong, but I just knew something didn't feel right. Um, So after that, I, you know, went to Dr. Google and, you know, tried to figure out what was, what was going on. Um, But I decided to see a walk-in doctor because, 
my postpartum checkup was actually not until nine weeks postpartum, which is unfortunate. But um, so I went to see a walk-in doctor at six weeks postpartum. It was a man um, and he did a little um, investigation and basically told me I had a small, you know, quote unquote, small bladder prolapse or a cystocele, um, basically said, this is your life now. Don't worry about it. Get on with your life. There's nothing really you can do. Um, and then I saw my OB again at nine weeks. So three weeks later, she basically said the same thing. Like, you know, you'll get better. It's just your nine weeks postpartum, just basically to get over it. Um, but I was miserable. Like I couldn't stand for longer than five minutes at a time without feeling immense pressure. I couldn't wear my baby, which I had like dreamed about doing. Uh, I couldn't go on walks. I was normally a pretty active person and um, my life just changed drastically. Like I couldn't do all the things that really brought me joy. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just interject here really quickly. This is all the makings of truly a traumatic experience in your body. I mean, to have it happen so suddenly and then to be really blown off by two different healthcare providers. And then just, it's no wonder that you really held a lot of emotion and trauma in your body because of this sudden just realization. And then this feeling like everything had changed. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to kind of put that in. It's, it's a big deal. A big it deal. was a big deal. And it was just no one really, you know, my, my husband listened, but he didn't really know what was going on. No one had gone through this, none of my friends. So it was really, um, it was really isolating. And um, it wasn't until I found some Facebook groups that I found some women who had gone through the same thing, um, which really, you know, helped me along my journey a lot. I found you through, uh, I think, Facebook or Instagram, I can't remember. But just having those people who had been through it, this kind of a community really, really helped me. And I later found out that I was probably suffering from, um, I never got diagnosed with PTSD, but thinking back about that day that it happened, like I couldn't, you know, even still, I have a hard time talking about it without getting emotional. Um, and it just, yeah, I probably had postpartum depression and anxiety. I later did see um, a psychologist just to kind of talk it through and, you know, get my thoughts out to someone who would listen. Um, but anyway, so after all of that happened, I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to just live with it. I wanted to do something about it. So I had heard about a program called Habit, which I know you have heard about. I think that's actually how I found you is through her, um, her program. She'd mentioned your book. So that program was good. I did that for probably a good year. Um, but it didn't really address a lot of the, you know, mechanical issues that I had. It was good for for Kegels and it was, you know, it was good awareness, but it didn't really address what I needed to work on. Um, and then around like nine months postpartum, I decided that I needed some, some help. Like I couldn't, I couldn't go for a long walk still at this point. Um, I just, I wasn't comfortable. Um, so I decided to go and see my OB and, and get a pessary. And then she told me that women my age don't need pessaries. And, um, you know, I had to really push to get fitted for a pessary. Um, which I did because, you know, again, the Facebook group, these women were talking about it, how much it was helping them just kind of get on with their lives a little bit. So I pushed and she fitted me for a pessary. Um, and at this point too, she had also told me that, you know, go and have your children when you're done having kids, um, you're going to need to have a hysterectomy. And I was like, what? Like, no idea where this had come from because I was suffering from a cystocele, a bladder prolapse. Um, at this point, I had no uh, uterine prolapse. So I didn't really, I don't remember if I asked any questions, but I was just so shocked. and like, where, you know, where's this coming from? 
um, I left her office crying because I was, you know, 29 years old at this point, or maybe 30. And she just told me that I would need a hysterectomy when I'm done having kids. And it was so nonchalant that I was like, just so taken back by it. Um, and at that point as well, I had to push to see a pelvic floor PT, um, you know, and I think, you know, as well, like not, not all PTs are, are created equally, let's say, um, the ones that I had been seeing had just focused on very surface level things like Kegels and a little bit on breathing, but really it was like, okay, do 10, um, you know, long contractions and then do 10 quick contractions. And that was basically it. Um, I finally found a PT who knew kind of what she was talking about. She kind of used Julie Weeb's work a little bit with the piston and talking about pressure. And that really clicked for me. And I, I realized that my breathing really made a huge difference in you know, the, the healing, but also just my day-to-day -day life. Um, and at that point too, she had, um, I don't remember how she had noticed, but she basically realized that my pessary was the wrong size. So she fitted me for a proper size. Um, and that helped me to feel a little bit more normal again at that point. And so Megan, and so at that point you were really having really good success with the pessary, correct? Once you got refit. Yeah, I was having success with the pessary. I still found it hard to go for long walks and really like, I couldn't even think about going for a, a run or, you know, doing anything that was once normal to me to just second nature. Um, but it was helping. I mean, it took away a lot of the heaviness. Um, but yeah, it still wasn't enough. And I wanted to get to a point where I didn't need to rely on my pessary for everyday life. Um, I also tried hypopressis with Trista, Zin, um, which really worked well for me, um, but something still wasn't, wasn't right. Um, and then I had found your videos as well. I was doing your YouTube videos. Um, you didn't have your lift program at this point. So, um, you know, I think that's a really great offer that you've come up with because I think it really, you know, is all encompassing. It looks at a lot more than just a, a YouTube video. Um, but it wasn't until I went to California um, on a retreat with some girls from the, faith, the Facebook group that I was in. And I saw Nicole Cozin, which who I, I know you know as well. She basically did a whole body assessment, which I had never had done before. She watched me walk, she watched my gait, she looked at my hips, my knees, my feet. Um, and she basically noticed that I have little to no stability in my feet and my knees. Um, and so my pelvis was really working harder to stabilize my body because my knees and my ankles weren't doing it. Um, and that was really a big thing for me because I'd never had anyone tell me that before. Um, and I, I actually saw Trista there as well. It was a Nicole and Trista type retreat. Um, and she noticed that my stomach was extremely tight and tense. Like I had, you know, I, I, um, like when she would do like a myofascial release, it was really, really tight. And I've never had anyone look at that before. Um, so those two things really made a huge difference for me just in focusing where I wanted to spend my time in terms of rehab. Um, and this was probably around two to two and a half years postpartum at this point. And let me just pop in here and just say the fabulousness of that type of evaluation. And it's so important for people listening to understand that pelvic floor issues you know, you, without making people start to, you know, kind of freak out and go, oh my gosh, this sounds huge. But it is true that you do need to look beyond just the pelvic floor. It's not just the pelvic floor that we need to look at when you have an issue. It's not just assigning a couple of kegels. It's looking at the whole body. It's a whole person thing. I mean, even, and I like to even include the mind as well as 
you know, your feet, your knees, your hips, your all the way up through your breathing diaphragm to your shoulders, to your head position and your alignment. It's also literally what's in your head too. So definitely I want to kind of encourage people to listen to Megan's story and understand that try to find a provider that does take a whole person approach and not just here, let's do these Kegel exercises. And that's something I want to mention too, is you don't need to travel to California to find that. Um, I've found that now at home, but it was just, I didn't, at that point, I didn't know that that's something that needed to be done. So, and that's why I think, you know, your um, education and your programs, like you talk about all these things and obviously you can't do it one-on-one in person, but you're, you're making people aware of these things and that's super important. Um, And then like, at this point, I was also starting to talk to you a little bit more and talk about, you know, symptoms and stress levels and anxiety and anxiety over my prolapse. Um, and that's where I realized from you as well that your your mind and your, your thoughts have such a huge um, relationship with your symptoms. And that was, you know, trying in terms of trying to highlight what made the biggest difference for me, I think that was it. Because, you know, there's, there's all these biomechanical issues that yes, they need to be fixed. But for me, it was really, it was really mindset and focusing on my stress levels and just worrying constantly about my prolapse. Um, and that comes back to where Krista had noticed, you know, the, the tension and the tightness in my um, abdomen. And that really kind of goes hand in hand, because when I'm stressed out, I tend to clench in my pelvic area. And that's not, you know, if your pelvic, if your pelvic floor can't move, then it's not able to get stronger, right? It's not able to, and it it can't support the organs if it can't move, if it's stuck and clenched, it can't support anything. And like you said, it can't get stronger. So yeah. Oh my gosh, this is, there's so much goodness in this so far. And now, however, though, we, when did you decide to have another baby? And I'm sure there was some fear and anxiety. A lot of people have fear and anxiety about, is this going to make my prolapse worse? Can I even try to have another baby? So, yeah. So around, um, it was early 2019 and you know, this story as well, but, um, I had a scare with breast cancer and, um, sorry, it's, you know, I went through two months of investigation for that. And luckily I came out okay. There was no breast cancer, but it was just a very odd, um, you know, presentation, I guess you could say. And the doctors were very confused. And through that whole time, I thought, you know, what if I have to have chemo and radiation and I can't have more kids? Um, sorry, let me just take a sip. <laughs> oh, and I just want to like... I don't want to actually stop I this. Right I'd be able to get through it, but I'm such an emotional. Um, it's so emotional. And I just want to honor you from that, for that and remind people, this was a couple years ago and it's still in your body. It's still in your yeah. body and it's still in your mind. And that's, you know what, that's reality. And it's important to continue, you know, to process this and move through it. And you're doing that. I know you are, but it's just to, again, highlight how we do store this stuff in our body. We do. And it doesn't just go away. Once the, once the breast cancer scare is gone, it doesn't mean that it is gone out of our bodies. And even though it was such a scary time, like it's really, you know, I'll continue with my story, but it really made a huge difference in my um, decision to make, have a second child because you know, I thought if I have to have chemo or whatever I have to go through, what if I can't have kids? And when all that had kind of 
ended and I was able to kind of take a breath, I realized like, I want another child. And this was five years after my, my first child. And we had kind of talked about it, but I just wasn't sure if I was willing to go through that and take that risk for me. Um, because I wasn't, I still wasn't at a point where I felt, you know, normal or even I wasn't happy with how I was feeling at that point. Um, and it really made me, um, you know, going through that whole experience, I had no prolapse symptoms the whole two months. I went, um, I was actually about like the whole cancer thing started on a Friday and we were getting ready to leave to go on a family vacation on the Sunday. The whole vacation, I had no symptoms. I was completely just thinking about this whole breast cancer thing. And it that's, you know, something that um, opened my eyes as well because you know, how, how can this take away my prolapse symptoms? Obviously it has something to do with my brain and the neural pathways and, um, you know, where your, I'm not sure what that quote is, but you know, where your thoughts are, where your attention, where your attention goes, your energy flows. And I want to, I mean, that's one version of that, of that saying, and I want to highlight this again for everyone. Like I know everyone listening caught it, but just in case, Megan didn't have prolapse symptoms when her mind was so focused on the breast cancer scare. And I mean, gosh, we're not saying we want people to go have a scare to take away their prolapse symptoms, but it just highlights the fact our mind can only handle so much at once. And usually it picks the the most important, most, um, you know, potentially scary or most whatever, most energy charge producing thing. The most charge producing thing is what it's going to focus on. And so ultimately we'd love that to be a joyful charge or a positive charge. But in this case, it was a a negative charge. It was a scare, but I think this, it it was so enlightening to realize that though. Yeah. Yeah. It was eye opening, and it really made me realize that I need to kind of get on with my life a little bit. You know, it was, it had been five years. Um, so you know, luckily, um, we were able to start crying pretty much right away. Um, I got pregnant pretty much right away. Um, and at this point, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to do this properly. Um, I don't want to come out with more symptoms. I want to look into, you know, birthing positions and, um, you know, getting ready to give birth and all the things. So um, the first thing I did was I looked into a doula, who I ended up finding an amazing doula who luckily, because of the whole COVID situation, she was able to be there. I gave birth right before um, COVID happened. Um, But I knew I needed to look into what, how I wanted to give birth and how I wanted to prepare. Um, So I did, um, there's also Sarah Duval is, she has a um, program as well for uh, pelvic floor prolapse, diastasis kind of thing. So I did some of her program. I did a lot of your gentle yoga on YouTube, completely free. Um, a lot of medication. And I basically I, I continued working on strengthening my body until I reached about 30 weeks um, pregnant. And then at that point, I started really focusing on relaxing and just um, not trying to build strength necessarily, but really focusing on, um, I, I guess you would maybe call it similar to hypnobirthing. I didn't do hypnobirthing, but a similar kind of thing. Um, I um, I looked into birthing positions and I had decided that I wanted to try to give birth either on hands and knees or on my side um, because of all the research I had um, found 
Um, I had also seen my um, pelvic floor physiotherapist in person um, to really work on pelvic floor release. Because I think my issue is as much tension as it is um, anything and, you know, stress and that kind of thing. Um, I had also been wearing a SI joint belt, an SI belt, which I did wear uh, a lot through my pregnancy just to keep things, you know, um, nice and connected and not worry about stretching any ligaments out. I found that really helped. Um, and Megan, perfect. can I ask about your pessary? If I recall, didn't you use the pessary actually for a period of time, but then yeah. you removed it once the baby was in position? Is that correct? So, yeah. So I, I wore it all throughout my pregnancy. I think I, you know, I checked with my, um, my OB and she was okay with me wearing it. Um, but I actually went into labor early, so I didn't get a chance to really take it out. So once my water had broken, I, I was able to take it out, but I wore it throughout my whole pregnancy. And I'm going to say something here really quickly is this is you, anybody listening, you will want to talk to your doctor to see what their recommendations are because some doctors actually don't want their patients to wear it during their pregnancy. And so it's kind of a, it's just something that there's different opinions on. And for Megan, it worked. Um, but take a look at that. Talk to your doctor about it. In some cases, people may wear it at the beginning of their pregnancy, but then there's a, a time when the baby actually gets so big <laughs> in the uterus that it just, it's kind of everything's in place over the pubic bone. Things aren't going to sink down more because everything, the, the uterus has gotten so big that the pubic bone naturally supports it and you don't need the pessary. But I just wanted to put that in because everyone's different. Yeah. And my, my OB had to check with her. She checked with her team, um, just to make sure that it's something that they were okay with. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was, that was pretty big for me because I think, uh, I did feel, feel pretty good, but I did feel heaviness in the beginning. And then I think I felt a little bit of heaviness probably between like 12 and 18 weeks. And then around 18, 19 weeks, I think is where my, um, my uterus did, you know, kind of rise above my pubic bone and helped out with the, um, the pressure or the weight of the baby. Um, I was really low the whole time. So maybe I felt a little bit more than someone else who was, you know, carrying a little bit higher. Um, but then around 28 weeks, I started to feel a little bit of heaviness again. And this is obviously, you know, my experience and I don't think it's gonna you know everyone is going to deal with this type of pressure um but yeah I did feel more pressure around 28 weeks um I did get checked out by my OB around 32 weeks just to make sure everything was okay and everything looked fine so she wasn't concerned about the pressure that I was feeling it was could have just been a normal thing for me um but my water did break at 33 weeks um nothing to do with my prolapse. You know, it was just my situation. I had my, my daughter, um, was a little bit early as well. My first pregnancy, she came at 37 weeks. Um, and then, so my, my water broke at 33 weeks with my son. Um, and I spent about six days in the hospital, just trying to, you know, stop the contractions and keep him in, but he, he wanted to come out. So he, um, was born at 33 and six. Um, but I got, you know, I, I actually didn't give birth at the hospital that I planned to, but I, I got an even better situation. I gave birth at the hospital that I wanted to give birth at, but I hadn't chose because it was a little bit farther away from my house. Um, my doula got to be there. Um, I had an amazing OB uh, who wasn't my doctor leading up to it, but she was absolutely amazing. And she, you know, 
talk to me about what I needed and what I wanted and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I decided not to go through with a um, epidural just because from my research, I had kind of decided that I wanted to be able to feel the contractions and I wanted to push on my own terms. Um, but I actually didn't really push um, during labor. I um, looked a lot into the fetal ejection reflex and um, I ended up giving birth on my side, which was, I was just too tired to, to try to do hands and knees at that point. Um, but I gave birth on my side and I just, you know, I listened to my body and my OB was okay with that. There was no type of emergency that I needed to get him out quickly. So I was very, very lucky. Um, my, my doula was there. She was, you know, amazing at coaching me through my contractions. Um, but yeah, I just kind of let my body do what it needed to do. And, uh, I didn't really want to push because I was afraid of putting too much pressure on my pelvic floor. Um, but obviously my body was, you know, pushing on its own. Yeah. Um, but I never did, you know, we, we didn't do the counting to 10 and pushing and that kind of thing. Um, that was one thing that I really didn't want to have to do. Um, I luckily didn't need any type of intervention, um, you know, forceps or vacuum or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, was there anything else that I didn't mention? I mean, that was great. And so ultimately it all worked out exactly as you'd wanted to. I mean, it was early, it was early, but that wasn't due to the prolapse. It's just, it is, it was what it was. And ultimately, uh, let's talk now about how you dealt with everything after the birth and how your prolapse felt after the birth. Yeah. So because my son was early, he was, you know, 34 weeker, basically, he did have to spend two weeks in the NICU, which that was a challenge for me, because my whole plan going into this pregnancy was, you know, come home, and I was going to try and do like the, I think it's like this, you know, 777 or something where you spend seven days in bed, you spend seven days, you know, in your house, and then you basically spend seven days just kind of not going very far away from your house, basically really trying trying to take it easy. Um, but, and we luckily were able to continue to stay in our room in the hospital. Um, I live in Canada, so we have very good healthcare um, here. And because the hospital didn't have a very high, um, you know, there wasn't very many people, we were able to stay in the hospital and stay in our room while our son was in the NICU. Um, so my husband would push me back and forth in the wheelchair. Um, I got a lot of looks. I'm going to say, but I just, you know, this is what I wanted and I didn't want to um, take any risks with uh, walking too much back and forth or spending too much time on my feet. So I, uh, yeah, we, we used a wheelchair most of the time going back and forth to the NICU. When he wasn't there, I would kind of, you know, really slowly get myself to the NICU, but my whole plan and my, my priority was really trying to um, take it easy and let people do things for me. Um, you know, you don't need to be a champion at that point and try to do it all. Um, so then when we when we got home, um, I still I think I spent another week probably in bed, basically just recuperating and just, you know, um, you know, obviously taking care of the baby. But luckily, my mom was able to come up and really help with uh, my daughter. And, you know, it was just I felt a little bit. Um, I don't know what the word is. I, I felt bad you know, making everyone do everything for me. But I really think that that's part of the reason why I, I healed so well. And, um, 
I just didn't do anything that didn't feel right. And I, I just didn't want to push myself too hard because that's what had gotten me into this whole mess. I was going to say, know, was, it was through experience that you did this right way this time, because nobody knows when they have their first baby, we all hear, oh, take care of yourself, you know, but sometimes in reality, that's hard to do when you don't, maybe you don't have support or help. And also a lot of us, I'll raise my hand here, first time moms, we just don't get it. <laughs> we don't get it. And we're like, no, I've, I'm fine. I've got this. I'm just going to go for it. And you have that, you had that wisdom of experience and you knew, and I'm so glad that you were stubborn about it. And you, you stood up for yourself and you said, no, I really need this time. So I applaud you. I mean, that is huge, huge. Yeah. It was hard in the hospital, you know, like nurses would be like, are you okay? And I'm, you know, I'd say, yeah, I'm okay. But I also just gave birth and I don't need to be walking, you know, even if I didn't have prolapse, like, why is it such a weird thing that I'm in a wheelchair? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, and then it wasn't that far, but it was just, I don't know. It was, that's something that I really want to change about society is postpartum care and what's expected of mothers, because I, I find that to be such a, you know, like, you know, I see people who go out for their first run at four weeks postpartum and everyone's congratulating them. And I'm just thinking, please, like, you know, I just want to tell my story because that's obviously what happened to me is I did too much too fast and I'm still dealing with it, you know, seven years later. Um, but in a way I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so aware of my body now I have, I just, I've learned so much. I've met, you know, I've met so many people who have helped me through this journey. Um, but yeah, just going back to the postpartum care a little bit as well. Um, around, I think it was around two weeks postpartum, three weeks postpartum, I started a little bit of very gentle core activation, um, you know, just lying in bed, just kind of breathing really is like, you know, core, core breaths, um, didn't push myself at all too much. Um, I prepped meals before I gave birth, I didn't get as much done because I obviously didn't think I would be giving birth at 34 weeks. Um, and it was a challenge, like not having a lot of things ready because I was, you know, six weeks early um, in terms of giving birth. But um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that you have questions about. Um, I will say, I don't know if this is the right word, but I feel like redemption. Is that the right word? Like I, I feel better now than I did before I got pregnant with my son. And to be completely honest, I haven't done more Kegels. I haven't done more strength training. I haven't, I haven't even seen a physio since I, I gave birth, which is probably not a good thing, but COVID has really, you know, especially in Canada where I live, um, things are just, you know, they just started opening up really like within the past few months or people became a little bit more comfortable going um, to appointments and that kind of thing. So, but what has been the most important thing for me is, is my mindset is, you know, knowing that I will get better and that this is just a stage or it's a bump in the road. Um, and that's the difference between it happening to me the first time and the second time is that you're just, you're so low in the first, in the beginning, and you don't have any, you don't have any community. You don't know who to talk to. Um, but now like if I have a question, I have a million people who I can go to who have been through this. Yeah. Um, so I really, you know, suggest if, if you're going through this for the first time is, um, you know, speak out. Well, they obviously know who you are if they're listening to this podcast, but um, you know, 
try your program. That's honestly what I would recommend because I find with your program, it just, it encompasses everything. Like, you know, I purchased your meditation program and your first meditation day one is insane. It is the best meditation that I have ever listened to. And not even in terms of like a pelvic floor meditation, it's just, it's insane. And it's, it's amazing. I want to just say really quickly that that meditation is in my lift program as well for anyone who might be listening. Yeah. I'm so, that makes me so happy, Megan, that you, that you like it. I've actually been meaning to tell you that, but I might as well tell you that here. Um, It's, you know, looking at your stress levels and meditation has helped me immensely. Um, You know, myofascial release is really like working out your muscles and, and making sure everything is um, able to work properly. Um, And obviously focusing on biomechanics and proper breathing. So breathing would be a super important one as well. Um, Another thing that I realized when I had seen Trista in person is that I was, I was in like a paradoxical, is that the right word? Paradoxical breathing pattern. So when I was breathing in my, my, um, my diaphragm was actually going up. Mm -hmm. So I was completely the opposite from what I should have been doing. So that again is seeing someone in person, seeing a, a pelvic floor PT in person and getting a, an, an assessment, um, you know, talk to your pelvic floor physiotherapist about their approach and it needs to be the whole body, you know, focus on um, breathing and um, posture and everything, you know, if they're just going to give you Kegels, they're going to send you home with Kegels and that's it. Then I would continue looking for a, a pelvic floor physio. Well said, well said. And okay, so I am thinking here, I'm kind of wrapping together everything we've talked about because we've covered so much goodness. But one thing I want to stress is that first of all, you're sharing with us that there is absolutely hope for a second pregnancy after prolapse. You did it. You took care during that pregnancy and especially in the, in the postpartum recovery process as well. You took a lot of care. And then another thing I'm getting from our conversation is that you had the resources during your second pregnant, your, your postpartum recovery, especially you had these resources, you had community, you had support, you'd already integrated this knowledge and awareness that you'd kind of learned from the first time around. And so for anyone listening right now, maybe they're thinking of becoming pregnant again after prolapse, something like that. It's a great time to start going through a program like mine or a program that is from somebody else you trust or going to a women's health physical therapist who looks at the whole person, even if you're not going to, you know, necessarily utilize all the exercises right at this minute, just get the information and start integrating it into your life. So you can use it after in postpartum and during pregnancy as well. Um, And another thing I want to touch on is kind of going back again to this mindset piece and the, the power of relaxation and letting go and kind of managing your stresses a little bit. Do you think any of the reduction in symptoms, cause you're feeling pretty great now. Do you think any of the reduction in symptoms is because you've got a lot distracting you? You now have two little ones to deal with in addition to life and everything. Is that part of it as well? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I still think about it probably more than I should, but I have yeah, I'm chasing after my, he's one and a half now. So I'm chasing after him. You know, my seven-year-old is talking to me and just, I need to be, I'm always somewhere else. Um, yeah, for sure. And I just, I think it's, 
it's that I know that I'm not like doing something like going for a walk or, or I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I just, I know that I'm not going to break. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, if, when I was nine months postpartum before I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't go for a walk. I, I can't be on my feet too much. I'm going to do so much damage. And, and yes, in the early postpartum days, you can do damage by doing that too much. But you also need to get to a point where you're working at strengthening, but also, you know, pushing yourself a little bit. And for me, pushing myself was going for a half an hour walk. I mean, it wasn't going for a jog or doing something like that. Gosh, yeah. I tell people to push themselves with like a three minute walk. I mean, yes, gently, gently push your boundaries for sure. But I love that you're saying here, there's less, less preoccupation, but also less fear because of all the, yeah. Yeah. I would say I spent a lot of time in fear and just, it was, I mean, it, I, it needed to happen, I think for my whole story to kind of unfold, yeah. but I'm just done with that now. And, um, you know, I have a lot of women on Instagram who I follow, who are going through the same thing, who, you know, just are giving me, um, they're pushing me and, and I'm not going to do anything that's going to damage my prolapse, but I'm also, I need to get out of my comfort zone sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very, for me, it's very important to see what other people are doing because I see, you know, the random woman running down the street and I think, Oh, lucky her. She doesn't have prolapse, but for all I know she does. And she has gotten to that point where she's able to do that. And so for me to see women who have, you know, openly talked about the fact that they have prolapse and where they've been and, and what they've been through and the fact that they've gotten to that point, that to me is really inspiring and in that, you know, this is part of the reason why I want to share my story and, you know, kind of go public a little bit with it is because no one knows that they're, what they're going through is, um, like, they need to know that someone else has been through this and where, you know where it's gotten them, you know? So, um, yeah, I just wanted to add too, like I, I have a degree in human kinetics, which is basically kinesiology. I'm a, you know, I was a dietitian. I'm kind of a stay at home mom now, but I had no idea this could happen. And like, I just, if I had, a, if this kind of information had been available to me when I was pregnant with my first, who knows, maybe I wouldn't be dealing with this, you know, it's all part of my story, but I just want people to know that this is a possibility, but you can overcome it and you can um, prevent it as much as possible from, from happening. Right. So, yeah. Oh, this was so helpful, Megan. I can't tell you how much I am grateful for you because like you said, sharing your story helps other women understand. It helps them, especially again, I get this question so many times about having another baby and it's going to give so many women hope and encouragement. So I just thank you for putting yourself out there. I know it can be scary, but that was very helpful. So thanks for being here. Did you want to leave any, like any last thought or any last comment before we sign off? I just wanted to say basically what you said is, you know, don't let prolapse stop you from having the family that you want. Um, you know, I waited six years, like my, my kids are a little bit more than six years apart, which is fine. But, you know, I think I needed to get to a point mentally to prepare for that pregnancy. But I think physically, I would have been okay to, to get pregnant three years after my daughter. And, you know, that would have been my ideal situation. But um, yeah, just don't let it stop you from your dream of having a family of 
however many kids, um, there are ways to, to rehab and, and you will get better. And it's not the end of your, your life. That's how you feel. You know, it, you feel like it's the end of your life when you're going through that and you're never going to be who you were before and not true. And, but you need to realize that on your own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening. And if this podcast was helpful for you today, please share it with a friend. Tell them, you know, what you learned and how it's going to be helpful and amazing for them to talk about this stuff. Don't forget to subscribe and also check the show notes for all the links you need, including how to follow me on Instagram and YouTube. And until next time, remember, you don't have to be an expert, but every woman should know a bit. We'll see you next time.